Welcome to Books with Bagby, a podcast about books. In this podcast, I sit down with authors discussing the reason behind certain books that they've written, or we just sit and talk about education, music, technology, or something of the like. If you find this podcast to be your cup of tea, make sure you like, subscribe, and all the things. And share it with your friends, because solos are for brains, not education. And now, Books with Bagby. Greetings. On this episode of Books with Bagby, we're here with Julie Smith, and we're going to be talking about Master the Media, how teaching media literacy can save our plugged-in world. And it's such a timely topic. And actually, it's a, it's a timeless topic, I believe. Uh, and I, I thank you and I applaud you for all the things that you've done. So Julie, as I start off every conversation on Books with Bagby, what was your reasoning behind crafting such a book? <laughs> well, this is a Dave Burgess story, as most stories are, right? <laughs> I was about to say, Dave, who? No, just <laughs> <laughs> um, My sister was a fifth grade math teacher, and one time we were on family vacation, and she said, you have to read this book, Teach Like a Pirate. And I, you know, I said, oh, I teach higher ed. <laughs> you know, hold on. Uh, I thought I was all that. And so I got the book, and I read it, and I, holy holy cow this is this is fantastic because you know in higher ed what do we do we stand in front of an auditorium and we lecture and we read slides to kids and we think that we're teaching them even though none of us in higher ed have ever been certified or have ever had a course in how to actually teach right so this book changed my classroom and at one point I saw that Dave Burgess was going to be in St. Louis speaking at a conference. This was years ago. And so on a whim, I tweet the guy and say, I'd like to take you to dinner. <laughs> and so I took him and my son's elementary school principal out to dinner with Dave. And we got to be buddies because if you know, if you know Dave, Dave has never met a stranger. Correct. And so whenever Dave would come into St. Louis, we would have supper. And one time, I was telling him how frustrated I was that whenever I applied to present at a conference that they would put me with the librarians. Now there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Librarians are awesome, but I'm not a librarian. Like my whole thing was like media literacy needs to be cross-curricular. It can't be just put in the library. It's everybody's responsibility. And I think I may, Greg, I think I was probably flailing my arms and getting really worked up. And Dave leans across the table and says, you got a book in you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I think I, yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> and he said, you write it, I'll publish it. And so I sent him a, an outline the next day. And not long after that, I had uh, the book in my hands and, and they were amazing to work with. And it was an absolute labor of love because I felt like I was getting to share with people something that I love so much, which is telling people what media literacy is and how important it is and how we can implement it every day. And I, one of the concerns I had about the book, Dave, is um, the, about the book, Greg, is that, you know, whenever you write something about the media, it's immediately outdated the minute it gets published because media changes so quickly and, and evolves so much. So I had a real concern about that. And, and Dave put my mind at ease and said, no, just, just get dynamic QR codes that you can update anytime. 
and include those in the book so that people have constant updated references to what you're talking about. And so, and so that's what I did. And um, it's been, it's, it's just been so fun to have that book to share with people about, about media literacy. I know, long answer to a short question. No, 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 that, that's great. And a couple of things that um, I wanted the audience to kind of know now, uh, you are a faculty member at the School of Communications for Western University in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, which is a little bit different than most of my guests. Most of my guests work in the K-12 space. And you said something that kind of hurt my heart a little bit. You said that higher ed people, they don't have any classes on education or teaching. and, and unless, unless you're an education major. Okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's how it but, works. Yep. But, That's exactly how it is. My wife and all of her folks, all of her friends, they all are former education former K-12 people, and they teach in the ed department, yep. and it works, and it makes a difference. So, so they are teaching people how to teach, right? That is correct. But in the School of Communication, we all have advanced degrees and are experts in our field, but that doesn't mean we know how to deliver it. You know, So I'll go to a K-12 conference, Greg, and pick up all these great engagement tools. Oh, oh my gosh, like a few years ago, I did a Kahoot at a faculty meeting, and you thought people would fall out of their chairs. <laughs> because they'd never, they'd never seen it. Um, because engagement is not a priority in higher ed. It absolutely needs to be, and it's not. Because you know, kids come out of these really engaging, alive, happening classrooms in K twelve, and they sit in an auditorium and get lectured for ninety minutes. You know, it's, yeah, it's it's a it's a horrible adjustment for them. Yeah, and I, my wife is like. I don't know, like just yesterday, I was at a new teacher conference and I was working with new teachers and one teacher comes up to me, oh, you're Dr. Bagby's husband. She's great. And I was like, <laughs> yes, just call me Dr. Bagby's husband. That's why. Uh, because being a former teacher, she taught elementary and middle school level kids. And now she's been at the college level for the last uh, 15 years or so. Uh, but so she, she knows that she knows how to teach. Exactly. She still goes back and she looks at different ways of engaging students. And, and I think just simply being engaging on a college campus will make you stand out. Oh my gosh. Class. You show, you show any bit of energy in a classroom and you're suddenly a rock star. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. 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 So what deep lessons or ideas do you want folks to take away with uh, from this book? The whole idea of media literacy what what, what is yeah. the media literacy that you want folks to know what is that um it's almost easier to talk about what i don't want them to know uh it's not about hating the media at all because it's an enormous part of our lives i mean there's parts of it that are you know trashy but there's parts of everything that are trashy right um it is the critical consumption of the 11 to 12 hours a day of electronic mass media that we consume and acknowledgement that these institutions that provide us with these media messages are commercially based, uh, not necessarily with our best interests at heart, uh, that their, their main focus, although they do entertain, educate, and inform us, their main priority is to make money for their stockholders. And we, we have to be cognizant of that. But a media literate person has a very interactive an interactive relationship with the media they consume. So they're questioning, they're asking, they're analyzing. And my mantra, and we start every class period with a particular media message and we go through the questions. Who's the sender of the message? What's their motive or intent? How is the message designed to get my attention or make me think or feel a certain way? Who's the target market? 
what information is left out, who profits from this message, and how could someone else interpret this message differently than me? So we don't say, here's where you should get your news. We say, let's look at this news story and now go through these questions. So I want it to be almost a, a, an automatic reflex for students to question everything and not just you know, electronic mass media, but question textbooks, question billboards, question your professors, <laughs> question what, question everything. Because we want them to be, um, we want them to be skeptical without being cynical. And something that um, I kind of struggled with this past semester is we had a conversation, which is worse, believing everything or believing nothing. And my students believe nothing. And that's not a good place to be either. Wow. So it's, it's, it's a challenge, but, it, but it's wonderful. I mean, the, the kids, this is the world that they live in. And so they're very, very willing to talk about their media experiences, especially if you can relate it to whatever you're teaching in class that day. Wow, that's great. I love those questions that you spark or that you start with at the beginning of your class. And I didn't have a fast enough pen to write them all down, but thankfully oh, I could rewind I, and listen. I, I have lots of little Canva posters that have those questions on them, Greg. I will share them with you. <laughs> or you can just tweet it out and we'll share Yes, indeed. There you <laughs> go. And as you start your book, you jump into the whole idea of the facts and how you talk about the facts, uh, how you're not bashing the media and how they are there for profit. And I just think right. opening up with just that in itself, it opens the world to uh, thinking about how I'm consuming this media, not only how, but what media am I consuming and why am I consuming this particular brand of media? And, and what am I learning? How is it making me feel? You know, there's, and there's all this research coming out, Greg, especially since the pandemic about doom scrolling, doom surfing, that increased media consumption increases anxiety, increases depression, and all of the misinformation online leads to hopelessness and cynicism. And so, gosh, if we were really paying close attention and talking about this information atmosphere more than we do, then, then maybe, maybe it wouldn't have such an effect on us. Yes. Well, prior to the pan, actually prior to the election of 1800, uh, no, I'm sorry, that's Hamilton. But uh, prior to the election, an election, I'll just say an election, I, I would consider myself a media junkie. I would yeah. try to consume news from every outlet that I could. I See, that's the, that's the trick. That's the trick. You're, you're using every outlet that you can, right? Yes. It, it was kind of, so if you rode in a car with me at, a quarter to 10, not a quarter to 10, at 10 minutes till the hour, um, some Christian radio station, they had their news that came on at a quarter or 10 minutes till the hour. And I click mm -hmm. on that station and listen to it. And then there was like a, a Fox news that came on like five minutes till the hour. So I I would literally change stations every five minutes just to hear the same news story and how it's being broadcast. Like I said, I was a media junkie. And you, then, are an, you are an anomaly if you are looking at different sources because well, most people don't like to do that. Well, this was prior to a certain election. And then after that, it just got, I can't believe they just said that. Wait, <laughs> what are they thinking? How can they tell the same story with two completely different takes and two but, completely different lenses? And but remember, them. <laughs> remember, if they have data that their audience loves X, they're gonna give them nothing but X. 
True. Because their job is to keep the audience from changing the channel. Yes, yes. So okay. it's, uh, Al Franken had this great quote in it. Uh, he said, the media do not have a liberal or conservative bias. They have a commercial bias. Mm. And I and I say often, if we if objective news made money, Greg, we would have some. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't have any. <laughs> we don't have any. But we're also not entitled to it. You know, whenever I do a workshop, the, the first thing people complain about, oh, the news is biased. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> So where, where do you get this idea that we're entitled to objectivity? It's a business. You got a, a point. Business. Yeah. It is a business and it all boils down to money. Most things do, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of money, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I was just going to ask the next question about the book writing process or this book specifically. What was the greatest challenge in writing this? Um, did you have to shake hands with folks in the media and talk to them or i guess this is what you do every single day you're always out there i think yeah i uh <laughs> i spend a lot of time with media people uh, because they they fascinate me and they're they always seem to know what's going on um this book was actually written more of um my target market for this book were k-12 teachers and parents who may have heard the phrase media literacy but weren't really quite sure what it was um, the, it, it was so interesting that, you know, um, Dave and Shelley Burgess had the, in, the infrastructure set up completely that I would write a chapter and send it to their editor who I never got to meet. But um, she had this knack, like the, the first chapter came back, Greg, and it was completely red, like everything was X'd out. And I had this, 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 you know, this existential crisis, like, oh, I thought I was good. I was about to say, <laughs> did you email her back and say, I'm a college professor? <laughs> Oh, but then I learned how to read what she sent back to me without the red. And I'm, and then I'd read it. And I'm like, oh, I sound good. <laughs> <laughs> she had a way of making me sound like me just better. And I wish that her name's Erin. And I wish that she could follow me around all, all day <laughs> long, all day long. What, what I thought was most interesting about the process was the cover. Mm -hmm. So I told them, look, I've never done this before. You guys choose a cover. And what they explained to me was the cover needs to represent the author, you know, the, the cover needs to represent the author. And so they had um, another, like a, a graphic design woman who lived in Ireland, her name was Genesis, another woman I never met. And she said, get on Amazon and send me 20 book covers that you love and 20 book covers that you hate, hmm. okay? And so when, after I put those together, it was kind of very obvious, like what my style was. And Genesis took a look at what the book was about and then came and then she sent me the cover and I almost burst into tears. Like it was just the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life <laughs> because she, like, she nailed it just from, like, I felt like it, it had my style, but it was, it was her design. And yeah. all of this happened without me meeting any of these people, Greg. And I, I, I'm still to this day just fascinated at, at that process and, and how wonderful they all were to work with. Wow. Well, great. And I have to say, I think the cover is brilliant. Isn't it cool? I just yes, love it. It is. <laughs> and it's timely and timeless at the same time, much like the book itself. Thank you. And Thank you. had you known that all the things were would happen with the media in 2020, 
what would you have changed about the book or would you have changed anything or would you well, have created I, I get, a book for a greater audience or what? I get asked that question. And actually, because people say, oh, well, do you have a chapter in there all about social media platforms? And I specifically chose not to because it's somewhere out there, there's a book where MySpace is the big deal, right? <laughs> well, I don't know what that is, but okay, <laughs> okay I do. But I didn't, I didn't want to write a chapter about social media platforms in particular because they're so trendy and it would just, it would be out of date immediately. Yeah. Um, and I also did not do uh, um, a chapter on online misinformation because I was worried it would be too political and I, I wanted to keep that out. So those are the two decisions that I made in the process. And I think that I would stick by those even today. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand. Well, I think I understand. I say totally, I think I do. <laughs> yeah, those are things I would shy away from as well, especially the whole e-world. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of eWorld. I was a big eWorld fan. It was, I know you're furrowing your brow, but eWorld was Apple's version of like um, AOL. Mm. <laughs> yes. And very few people knew about eWorld, e but I did. And it was back in 95. Yeah. When the, when computers were still the size of a television set. Yes. yes the old yes. television set. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I understand why you decided to skip those. And I think you're pretty brilliant at that. So what's your next idea, your next publication? I know there's one that's come out that has come out since this one. Yeah, there's um, a woman saw me speak at a conference about classroom engagement tools. Again, most things I've stolen from K-12 teachers, right? Because and they're the best. Because they are the best, honest to God. K-12, think of it, Greg. K-12 teachers work all day long, five days in a row. Higher ed people, we teach three classes a week and we think we're busy. I'm married to one, I, I know. And I love her dearly because she listens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. So um, she asked me to write a book for her publishing company which specializes in titles for adjunct university instructors. So this one is called uh, Wake Em Up, uh, How to Supercharge Engagement in Your College Classroom. So it's all about how our brains work, why engagement matters, and how it helps with retention, because students who are successful stay in school. And then it finishes with both tech techie and non-techie engagement tools that, um, that I think work really, really well. So that uh, it's a much smaller, niche audience than master the media but but hopefully it reaches some people who still think lecturing is the best option so now that you know, there's, hear, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with a good lecture i was about to say a good lecture can be amazing a good lecture can be amazing but bad lectures are always bad lectures <laughs> so let me just give you two stories um I know you're the guest but i'm going to give you a story anyway uh when i was going through my master's program for my music um, I had a teacher who was in the music department. I know that he taught in the K-12 arena at one point, but he had been away from it for a while. And I was trying to take this course and I couldn't take it one semester because I was the only person signed up for it. So they wouldn't. It didn't run. Course. Yeah. Next semester, same thing. 
I'm like, I get, I have to have this course in order to graduate. So they gave me this course and the gentleman who taught it, he stood in front of the podium with one student in class, myself, literally lectured to me for two hours. And he wasn't even a good lecturer, two hours straight. I could yeah. not believe it. I, I, you, I, were the, you were the only one in the room? Yes. I literally looked around the room. How did you do that? Oh I was like being punked as they called it. And, and then the next week, same thing. I come in and two hours. And then the third class, uh, another student joined. And we were sitting right beside each other and we were talking before class started and he starts lecturing and he turns on and he starts writing on the board and things. The guy turns to me and is like, is he serious? I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is how he does it the whole time. Yeah, he's serious, all right. Yeah, but that was just a bad lecturer and a bad situation. But he was great at playing the euphonium. So well, there you go. Yeah, and then I, I think about last semester or last year, I taught a couple of classes at a local university, that adjunct who probably needs your book. But the kids, after the class was over, they were saying, oh, Greg, you or Professor Bagby, you did such a great job. Oh, blah, blah, blah. You got to come to our graduation. You got to do this. and You got to do that. And I was like, yeah, all right. And the more I think about it is I've only been in the K-12. Well, I've mostly been in the K-12 space and I've done some adjunct at uh, other places, but I never thought about the fact that I try to engage students and we do activities and we I'm a K-12 person at heart. So right. I guess I put a lot of that in and that's why the kids actually, I did end up going to their graduation and they all got together. It was, it was all sweet. Yay. But um, the whole idea of making sure that you're there for those students and engaging those kids and doing all the things your second book has. So do you have <laughs> a third book? <laughs> no. <laughs> so how do you really feel about that? Uh, I, I have yet to be inspired about a third book. We'll see. We'll see. So um, my college professor used to say, inspiration doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> Just kidding. That's and true. So That's if you true. get an opportunity, I'm sure you'll yeah, be if the Yeah, if the right opportunity came, came up and I was passionate about it, otherwise it's work. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and if I want to really work, then I'll like write a dissertation or something. But if it's if it's a book, I want to I want to feel like it's a joy to do, because oh. if it's because if it's a joy to write, I think that comes through. Yes. You know, like oh, I totally I've heard, agree. I've heard somebody say, um, and I'm not sure they meant this as a compliment necessarily, but they, they said, "Oh God, Julie, we could hear your voice in that book." <laughs> And I, like, it was meant as a compliment, I'm sure. Well, we're gonna say it was we're gonna say it was meant as a compliment. <laughs> I love it. I think that's great. So Julie, now that we've talked about your book and your future non-book uh, and media literacy, and this may be your passion, what is your education passion or your soapbox that you always get on and stand? Uh, that you want to shout from the rooftops or the rafters or from the top of the bridge or something. I don't know. Yeah, we need to stop teaching digital citizenship. Whoa. Okay, there's my line in the sand. Scorching the earth. And why is that? The, the word is wrong. Citizenship, oh. citizenship implies be nice. And be nice is very 2010 teaching about the internet. 
uh, be nice is all about cyberbullying, right? Mm -mm. We need to go way, way beyond that. We need to be talking about terms of service. We need to be talking about LinkedIn. We need to be talking about self-tracking, how to verify photos, how to verify videos, what makes a good password, where does all the money go, what are the companies doing with your data, what does it mean that the, the five main companies control most of the websites. Um, I mean, we need to go much deeper. Do the kids know how to recognize smishing attacks? Do the kids know how to use it for good? Do they, do they understand the role they play in the economic structure of it all? And Digital citizenship is a great start, but I feel like we need to call it something else, like maybe digital fluency, digital literacy, digital wellness, because we are living our lives online and it is fundamentally changing the way our students define relationship, connection, value, education, citizenship, you know, like what it means to be a citizen. And the whole be nice online thing, that, that ship has sailed years ago and we need to get way past it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you just, you just opened up a rant, didn't you? <laughs> and that's kind of what I was hoping for, but not necessarily that one. No. no um, so I, I understand exactly what you mean in regards to the be nice. And I, I am of the camp of the digital literacy, but not necessarily for that space. I see a digitally literate person as someone who knows how to interact with the digital tools and the digital space mm -hmm. and work in the work in that digital space. And I'm actually working with a group of teachers here in my, or yeah, in my department. And we're trying to figure out a digital literacy curriculum map, so to speak, for the students as well as for the teachers. Oh, um, I'm going to, I want to send you my little handout that I did that all the things that I just listed that I think need to be included in that sort of thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the whole digital wellness, I like that phrase. I really like that phrase, especially when you get into the making sure the kids understand, are you being catfish? I don't know. Let's figure out how we can look. Hey, let's do a reverse image search. You see that girl that sent you that picture? Oh, wait, her image shows up 4 million times in different places. Right. That right. probably isn't her. <laughs> they need to know, like, they need to know what they've agreed to in the terms of service that nobody reads. You know, yes. they need to know what the state laws are, that if they post anything sexy and they're under 18, it's actually by definition child porn. You mm. know, like they need, they need to know their agency. You know, every app has resources where you can mute accounts, block accounts, report accounts, you can control who tags you, et cetera. I feel like we need to work more on coping skills. And if we worked more on coping skills when teaching digital wellness or whatever we decide to call it, administrators would get most of their lives back. Because oh, yeah. right now, anytime something bad happens online, what do the kids do? They automatically go into victim mode and run to the principal or the parents do, right? Yes. And then administrators are having to put out fires that never even started at school, but affect school. And if kids had coping skills, because let's face it, dealing with difficult people is something you have to do your whole life, right? Yes. Why aren't, why aren't we teaching that instead of don't, you know, don't be a cyber bully, like a waste of time because there's a thousand reasons a kid is a jerk online and one little workshop isn't going to fix any of those reasons. So coping skills, coping skills, coping skills. Sorry. I get really worked up about this, Greg. <laughs> it's okay. I asked you for your soapbox or your passion. So 
there you go. <laughs> You're going to like send a note to somebody like, God, if you ever interview this woman, do not ask what her soapbox is. <laughs> no, no, no. I am very thankful for your passion and for putting it out there. And you've made me have to rethink some things and, and I'm okay <laughs> with that. Um, uh, yeah. I, what was it? I'd rather be wrong than consistent. So if I change my mind uh, based on what I used to do, uh, no, I better be, sorry, not wrong. I'd rather be right than consistent. Well, and and all of this changes so rapidly. Of course, things are going to evolve and the, the classes need to evolve and our experiences have evolved. So we just need, that. that's the challenge, right? It's like the same reason I didn't want to write a book about the media. The minute you put a digital wellness curriculum together, next year, there's going to be some weird new thing that nobody thought of. Do you know what I mean? It's almost oh, like- yes, yes. Well, and that's the hope for this thing that I'm trying to create with this digital literacy thing is the fact that I want it to be something that can be not just a static piece, but something dynamic that can change, that can evolve, that can continue to- A living document? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can yes, tell yes. you like, because I'll do like social media workshops for students. I do them for parents. I do them for teachers and nobody- Nobody applauds the coping skills line more than the teachers do. Oh, yeah. It, people are just desperate for that stuff. Well, the teachers love that, but parents are thinking, okay, I, I don't know what parents are thinking, and I'm not going to say what I think that I think they're thinking. <laughs> well, that's one good thing about higher ed. I don't have to deal with any parents. <laughs> you didn't have to deal with any parents? Speaking as a parent, I can say we parents are nuts. <laughs> Your words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, it's it's information everybody needs to have, I think. Uh, I totally agree. So thank you for that soapbox <laughs> moment. And our passion project will be creating the next phase of digital citizenship that's not called digital citizenship, but it's called something completely different. So there you go. Something, something that means more than just be nice online. That's yeah. our next book. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's the, how's that for a good title? Stop teaching digital citizenship. Yes. That'll uh, get people will, it'll be flying off the shelves. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so Julie, if you don't mind, how can people connect with you? Twitter, blog, Instagram. Um, do you do yeah, actually uh, my web, my website is HeyJulieSmith.com. Uh, my email is HeyJulieSmith at Gmail in case anyone thinks that they might be interested in increasing or including media literacy stuff into what they're teaching. Send me an email, tell me what grade you teach, what you're teaching, and I'll, I'll help you try to figure out a way to implement media literacy into what you're already doing. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at J-U-L-N-I-L-S-M-I-T-H. And that's my same username on Instagram, but you know, my target market on Twitter is media literacy on Instagram? It's mainly baking, so yes. go where go where you want the particular particular material. <laughs> well, I, I have to admit, it was years ago. We were in some Twitter group. I, I think we were doing like a Christmas trivia or something. Oh, we were. That's right. And you put in some recipes for some desserts, and I still still use them today. So thank you, Julie. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Well, this has been fantastic. I've loved having you on. Um, thank you for joining us. And I'll just say my little closeout piece. If you're in the college, college lecture hall or in uh, 
first grade classroom, please always ask good questions, answer the ones you can, make someone feel special, and be great because you are great. Have a fantastic afternoon. Bye. What a great ending. <laughs> <laughs>